Hello and welcome to Scott Rock, where your hosts from Climb Scotland, Robert McKenzie, and me, Callum McBain, catch up with climbers every two weeks who have different epic tales to tell us. We hope you enjoy the show. And remember, when you're out climbing, be safe and do your buddy checks. Welcome back to Scott Rock, the... uh... Let's be honest these days, the periodic podcast, the special treat that comes along every once in a while. Thank you to all our listeners for sticking around and not giving me too much stick for my relaxed approach to the podcast. And I hope that when we do bring you something, it is worth it. Scott Rock, bringing you that little nugget of gold whenever we can. And well, this week, the nugget is big. This is a big nugget. He is a big nugget. We can all say that. Today on Scott Rock, giving us a special two-parter, we have the man, the myth, the nugget, Robbie Phillips. Robbie has actually been part of Scott Rock since almost the beginning, uh, as a regular guest on our controversial episodes, but he's never been given the opportunity to have his own story told. Maybe we didn't think he was worthy yet, I don't know, but I think he's definitely earned his moment in the Scott Rock spotlight now. He's a man that needs no introduction, but I'm going to do one anyway. Robbie's a climber. He calls himself a climber. He's one of the most hardcore climbers of our generation, but not because he's out there projecting 9B plus with fellow Edinburgher Will Bosey, but because he's forged his life by immersing himself in every aspect of what our climbing community, old and young, consider to be the most important parts of our sport. The physical specimen that is Robbie Phillips trains hard to be able to climb hard on grades that are up there with the best, but not only in one discipline. He's an all-round badass. With some major ticks, boulder, sport, trad, he's even done a bit of winter. He's also a developer, searching for the next great king lines and opening up new possibilities for the rest of us to enjoy. He's an adventurer, imagining, planning, and executing some wild expeditions to some incredible locations around the world. And what I consider to be the most important part, through his own climbing, his travels, his work, his YouTube, Robbie soaks up, engages, and inspires a huge amount in our climbing community. Myself and Calma have this life lesson that it's more about the people than the climbing, and Robbie embodies that with every trip. Myself and Robbie sat down for close to three hours recording this, and split it into two parts. Part one, we talk a lot about his latest exploits out in one of Scotland's most adventurous locations. But in part two, we get to know a little bit more about the man himself, his backstory, his motivations, and the future of Robbie. So, bringing you a next gold nugget. Sit back and enjoy the chat with Robbie Phillips. Yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> That'd be a bit odd. Wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but talking about people that have, hmm, I'm going to say, earned their interview. You. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Finally getting your own, own Scott Rock interview. I know. This is your... 
fourth appearance. Have we started? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know we'd started. No, this is the way I do things. All just right, roll okay. in. Cool. Yeah, this, yeah. This is the way Scott Rock. You have listened to this podcast before, I have, right? Yeah. Actually, I really enjoy listening to it, which is why I've been casing you for like getting some more episodes out there. I really, oh man, I do love hearing about the different characters of Scottish climbing. You Who's know? been your favorite so far? Honestly, Jamie Lowther. Really? I really love. So good. I loved that one. Yeah. So good. He's just got such for a young gun who's just kind of coming out of the teenage scene into his own climbing yeah. world like what a cool attitude he has yeah right? no, he does he is and i've been climbing well i've not been climbing with him. i've trained with him yeah um a couple of times recently um getting to know him better and he's such a cool guy he really he's nice got guy. so much potential and he's got a great attitude he's been doing you know climbing trips yeah. he did his trip to sweden and did a trip to spain and got some good stuff done and it's quite excited to see he's, where he takes that. He's been on a proper roll lately as well. Yeah. It's not like easy stuff he's been doing. He's going out no. and pushing it. No, definitely. It's awesome. And he's he's got that uh, fire as well, you know, that determination. Yeah. You need to be able to pull off the hard stuff. You I know? think he's just realized that he's able to do this stuff now. Yeah. He's like, also uh, savagely strong. Right. <laughs> like I had a bouldering session, a two bouldering session with him on his home board. And I know on your home board, you're always stronger, you know, but like, I couldn't keep up with him, and yeah. he was yeah. a demon. Yeah, yeah. Me and Callum tried to play on his home board one day, and we quickly decided it was a bad idea. We're yeah. just going to get embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it's good. It's good to see. So yeah, his his episode was really good. So anyone listening, if you haven't listened to the Jamie Lather podcast, I'd really recommend that one. It's a good one. Nice. Good episode. Nice. Well, yeah. I think uh, out of everybody that we've had so far, you may have earned yours more. Not because of the things you've done in your life, but because this is technically your fourth time on the podcast and you've not actually been able to tell your story yet. So I suppose you've put the work in. You've been part of the scene as long as Scott Rocks existed. Yeah. So it's finally time. Yeah. Uh, excited. But yeah, uh, you're just back. The, the reason that we do, we're doing this now is because you're just back from Kilda. Mm. You want to shout about it. I know you want to shout about it. And you're just away off to Spain. So we've got a very small window, short window to do this <clears> in. Um, so yeah, what what was how was the trip? What was the mission? What did you what did you get done out there? So, I went to St Kilda um, last year and this year, and and last year felt like the trip of a lifetime, mm. and to be able to go back there for a second year in a row to get done what we saw out there, you know, to see what we saw in that first year and didn't get a chance to do was like literally it was just so amazing to get back out there but i never thought it would be possible because for people that don't know what st kilda is st kilda is a group of islands off the west coast of the outer hebrides it's 60 miles off the west coast of harris and it is the westernmost tip of the british isles these are the most remote islands in the british isles if you go any further west, you hit North America. <laughs> and the climbing potential out there is remarkable. St. Kilda's, but St. Kilda's also got more than, more than just rock. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site for both natural and cultural heritage, which makes it a very unique place. It's one of only a small number of places globally that you know fit that characteristic. It's a marine conservation area. Um, and it's got such a history of human inhabitation and wildlife 
I guess like we can the, the first thing to to mention about the 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 cultural side of St Kilda is the people that lived there. Yeah. I mean, there is there is a uh, proof evidence that people have lived there for an estimated four and a half thousand years, which is about as early as people have been in the Outer Hebrides, and uh, there's you know thought that it could actually be longer than that. Mm and uh but people haven't lived there since the 1930s after it got evacuated but the thing that fascinates me most about the people that lived on St Kilda is their very unique way of life the their practices and the way they survived there in these very remote islands now you got to imagine you know what it would be like to be the first people visiting St Kilda all those thousands of years ago you know, you're sailing on these like little boats across the the sea. You know, you know miles and miles and miles of these huge waves <laughs> crashing up and down, <clears throat> and then arriving on this rocky landscape. It's really like there's cliffs just bursting out the sea. Apart from this one very small bay where it's just got good good access onto the land. And then you'll be greeted by this very lush landscape, these green rolling hills and skies filled with birds, literally flying everywhere. Millions of them. Yeah. <clears throat> now, people think that, you know, the, the idea of living on these remote islands, I guess like a contemporary thought would be, imagine it's such a hard way of life, such a difficult place to, to exist. But I think what you really have to think is, in the in the in the eyes or in the minds of the people that first landed there, what they would be looking for, guess one of the thing, main things they'd be looking for is food, mm. and looking at the sky, <laughs> just millions of birds everywhere, yeah. that is a food source, and that is how the St Kildans actually survived. Uh, that's one of the ways in which they survived. They would climb the sea cliffs and capture the birds and the birds' eggs. They would eat fulmars gannets anything with wings yeah. <laughs> puffet puffins <clears throat> you know it's got such a, a wide uh, diversity of uh, of bird life there uh, and and also they of course they'd be fishing in the sea and they also had agriculture but the birds were a staple yeah. uh, they had the the fowling season the season when they would catch the birds and during that time they would get onto the sea cliffs they would use these long poles with um, sort of cord at the end to to capture the birds. I remember reading one of the books that the birds would almost be inquisitive of this long pole kind of coming towards them and almost looking at this sort of wee noose thing attached to it, kind of curiously as it went round their neck and suddenly grabbed a hold of them. Of course, at which point the birds have got no choice but to go with their captors. <laughs> and and uh, And that's it, you know. Unfortunately, that was the way that it went. But you know, they they really lived in uh, in tandem with the environment. You know, they they didn't take more than they needed. They were a small population of I think not more than two hundred people at the at probably the um, the strongest point of people living there, and um, <clears throat> they they would use every part of the bird. They would use the feathers for clothing and, and material. They would use the the meat, of say, for, for eating. The oils they had use for as well. Mm. And uh, and even the bones 
After they'd eaten and used the rest of the bird, the bones they would bury in the earth and the bones would enrich the soil for their agriculture. Awesome fertilizer. Exactly. Yeah. So they used everything, you know? Yeah. And so <clears throat> you've got this culture now that's existing for thousands of years on the islands of St. Kilda who are using the birds uh, as a main food source. They're literally climbing these sea cliffs and uh, climbing has become a part of their their being, their culture. It's not just a means for survival, it's also a social hierarchy because there are stories that you can read of the St. Kildans using the, the climbs as a means to... I guess there was one story actually where you, the, the young men had to go right to the very edge of a cliff, have their toes right on the very edge of the cliff. And uh, I think they had to hold their arms out and stare down the cliff. And if they managed to do this, it meant that they were uh, ready to take a wife. <laughs> if they couldn't, then unfortunately weren't. It was something along the lines. Is that what that. we've been doing this whole time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, there was this other amazing story of the the climb that St. Kildans thought was the, the hardest of all the climbs they did. And it was a sea stack between the Isle of Herta, which is the main island, and the smaller Isle of Soe on the, the westernmost tip. Yeah. This sea stack, which was very difficult to access, you know, it's right between these two islands. You'd have to sail out there in a little rowing boat to get to it. <clears throat> and uh, they, they, they called this thing the thumb. And it was 70 metres high. How, how big? 70 metres. 70? 70. 70. Jeez, 70 metres high. Right. And um, only the greatest of their, of their climbers, you know, could could do it yeah. it was technically very challenging and the way in which they did it they'd row up to the base of the, cl the climb someone would jump out onto the rock face with a rope tied on the waist a rope made entirely of uh, horse hair i think it was horse tail hair or something like that and there was only ever two ropes on the island and the ropes in the climbing season were used for climbing and in the off season were used for tying up boats so these weren't <clears throat> regularly tested, you know, by the UIAA. They weren't certified, <laughs> you know. They weren't, they weren't force, force tested. They were ropes used for pretty much everything. And they had no climbing gear to protect a fall. These ropes were only used for the climber to fix once they'd gotten to their high point to bring the, the rest of the climbers up behind them. And so only the best climbers would go first. And sometimes they wouldn't succeed. They would fall mm. and they would fall into the sea. And if they fell into the sea and were okay, they'd swim back to the boat and they'd either have another crack at it or let somebody else go. And that was the invention of deep water soloing. <laughs> There's the birthplace of deep water soloing. Yeah, everyone thinks it was Chris Sharma. It bloody wasn't. No, <laughs> it was no. the St. Kildans. <laughs> <laughs> but so this, this climb... It was called the thumb and any climbers who achieved it were regarded as their greatest heroes, yeah. you know, these guys who would, uh, you know, if they managed to climb this thing, they would get given, um, I think it was like five uh, fulmar um, for climbing this thing to their family. And uh, it was called the thumb. And I read this in a, in a book written in the 1600s by a guy called Martin Martin, who went over to St. Kilda to document their uh, their climbing and their culture. 
It was called the thumb because there was a single move on it, which required using your thumb in order to mantle onto a, a small protrusion on the wall uh, and, and get, get established. This was written in the 1600s. Jesus. When you think of the, <clears throat> when you think of uh, the history of climbing, of, of technical climbing, we often uh, regard the Victorian era as the birthplace of technical rock climbing. Yeah. But this is being spoken about technical movement on rock as early as the 1600s. And this is a claim that they've been doing for potentially hundreds, if not thousands of years. This is, it blew my mind to find this out. The next thing was, I didn't know where exactly the thumb was. And written in this book, it referred to the stack known as Stack Donna. Mm. So I had this amazing idea to go back to St. Kilda and try and find and climb the thumb. the thumb. So I went back with a bunch of friends this year. Uh, it was me, uh, a few friends, Hugo, Ryan Balhari as well, who were two camera person, two camera people who, who joined me to document it. Uh, my climbing partner, Will Burkett, and our, our skipper, Scott. Uh, I think Scott's second name is Scott Johnson. Um <clears throat> trying to remember his uh his company yachting scotland that's right yachting scotland if you're looking for uh, a sailor to take you on a adventure sailing on the west coast of scotland then look no further <laughs> what was the name of his boat uh his boat was called Summerled, which is of course the lord of the isles it's a brilliant name yeah. it's also the name of uh, one of our first ascents from the st kilda nice. trip which i'll get onto nice. in a bit but anyway uh went a good group of guys um when we arrived, we sailed around uh, the sea, the, the islands, and had a look at the sea stacks. And it was, it was obvious from very early, as soon as we saw Stack Donna, that wasn't the sea stack, because mm. Stack Donna is this tiny little lump of rock. I mean, no birds nest on it. It was obvious. It's it's too small. The waves just crash right over the thing. Not seventy meters. <clears throat> Not seventy meters. However, there was another sea stack that looked. Rem- really beautiful and really spectacular and this thing did look about 70 meters and it was called stack Briorach. so we took the dinghy we zipped around along to the the sea stack and we were circling the sea stack doing 360s around it trying to figure out the easiest line up there in my mind i was just trying to imagine being a st kilden trying to imagine <clears throat> there's i there be birds up there on that wall. I'm doing a terrible accent. There be birds up there. That's like a pirate. All right, song. Jack Sparrow. Jack Sparrow, all right, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> imagine a St. Kilden with a really strong Gaelic Scottish <laughs> accent. Um, looking, at the, the, looking at the sea stack, seeing the nests from this little rickety wooden boat that they're sailing about on. And I, we could see we could see where the nests were. Yeah. We're we're there in September, by the way, so it's beyond uh, the nesting season. The birds yeah. have gone, but we can see the guano where they, where they were. <clears throat> yeah, we can see where they were. There's guano covering this ledge. So I'm like, we need to get there. So where's the most obvious line? Mm. And then I saw it. There's this little ledge on the on the west face of the sea stack, and it looked like there was a weakness traversing from right to left right round spiraling up towards where the nests were i thought that's that must be it so me and will jumped onto the sea stack 
and started climbing. And as we were climbing in my mind, I was thinking, where is this move, the thumb? There must be this move, you know, if because this is what they named it after. There must yeah, be this yeah. move. I'm climbing around and uh, it's getting a bit steeper, a bit more challenging. It gets a bit overhanging actually and the feet kind of drop away. And then I have to do this like weird cut loose foot move to get onto this weird mushroomy looking ledge. Yeah. And as I roll onto it, I find that actually my hands go upward into the sort of small roofy recess. And I feel like I'm actually kind of thumbing the roof. And then I wonder, is this the move, the thumb? Yes. Oh my God. Because actually I was thinking about it, you know, the, the guy who wrote Martin Martin, you know, he wasn't a climber. Yeah. He was just documenting what he, what he saw. Yeah. Yeah. And what he saw was challenging technical rock climbing and them moving in a particular way. And I think what he saw was them just thumbing the sides of the, the rock yeah. as they took a particularly balancey rock over onto a ledge. And then after that, you access the guano and the, the nests. And that was the move. I was literally walking in the, the footsteps, or maybe I should say climbing in the, Mate, the fingerprints. I, I felt like I was going back in time. I, and and anyway, we, <clears throat> we got up to the guano ledge. Will built an anchor there. I took us another pitch up and then Will took us to the top after that. It was a three pitch, uh, a three pitch beast. And we stood on top and there was that moment I just realized we're the first people to be standing on this in 140 years since the last person who climbed this, which was some St. Kilden bird (laughs) guy. (laughs) You know, some St. Kilden chasing his dinner. That like to to be the first people to go back and repeat that move in so long but a move that they've potentially been doing for thousands of years there's there there cannot be many climbs in the world that other people can go and redo that have that history i know that's incredible and like I often wonder this, like I might, I think I'm correct in saying this, but the, the name for the the guys that went out catching the birds and collecting the eggs, Ginyachs. Yeah, I think, I think, I think I've heard that, I can't remember. Yeah. And I often wonder this about <coughs> the, the Ginyachs back in the day, like what was, how hard were they actually climbing? Like what was the hardest move? And that sounds like a fairly technical mm-hmm. move for guys with horse hair around their waists. Yeah. Like, so how hard was that? was that like yeah like how hard are these guys actually climbing it was it was definitely technical rock climbing and oh it's not something you could you could take a beginner on um like a beginner rock climb would rock climb would not be able to do that even with all our modern gear even with all our modern gear like it would um <clears throat> there was there was tech there was technique to it yeah you you had to understand center of gravity you had to have good footwork mm-hmm. another thing to mention is they did this barefoot i was gonna say like yeah. they wouldn't have had shoes either there was no there was no scarper climbing shoes you know yeah. <laughs> there was no there was no uh vibram rubber you know they were using either even going barefoot or with a very coarse um woolly socks yeah which they said gave them better grip but i i honestly think it would be better barefooted barefoot, yeah. yeah i actually wish i had done it barefooted um i think just, i was just for the nostalgia yeah, I think it would have been fun to do it barefoot. Um, <clears throat> but I actually did it in my uh, my approach shoes. 
Um, I think the, the, to give it a grade, I think it was somewhere about severe. Yeah. Um, maybe a hard, maybe a hard severe. I don't know. Some, it, it was something about that. It was, it was tricky. Like, I, it's hard. It's, I find it hard, um, giving a number to these things because there's so much in it. It's, it's such an adventurous scenario. Yeah. You're above the raging Atlantic, the waters frothing beneath you, like the kind of water that you don't want to be deep water soloing <clears throat> above. No, yeah. no, definitely not. It would be terrifying to fall into that. The, also, um, when you were when you were climbing it for the second, it is just as dangerous as it would be for the for the lead. Yeah. There was a huge pendulum, um, yeah. and the pendulum you'd be going straight into the water. At which point, I, I I did wonder a little bit if it was worth even being roped up at that point because you know being roped up and then landing in the water like you're then yeah. kind of trapped with the rope and ah uh, uh, I don't know there was a whole lot of questions about you know how safe that actually was um maybe there was more gear I, I did I did look I did look very hard we actually did it as a three because uh, our skipper Scott uh, was really keen on the idea he's a, a bit of a climber as well yeah and. Uh, he did it and uh i'm sure scott's not going to mind me saying this but he made a total shambles of it (laughs) (laughs) and he did say i was a fantastic guide he did he did say that because i was guiding him the whole way along and making sure he didn't put a foot out of of place and made sure he grabbed everything perfectly um but he was very shaky on it i would uh it was definitely like i was i was my heart was a little bit in my mouth watching him. I was like, oh my God, I hope he does this. <laughs> there was a tricky bit where you had to like, it wasn't campusing, but it was like, you had to skip your feet along on an overhang, grabbing some pretty rounded, slopey jugs. Um, and you had small feet. And then you really had to transition your body weight onto the small ledge that you're not going to stand up on. As soon as you get onto it, your hips, you, you have to really open your hips frog and really frog it. Yeah. And that's where you're kind of putting your thumbs and your hands into the roof of this little scoop. I mean, if you didn't have a good understanding of body position and center of gravity, you'd be out of there. Yeah. And that would be the move that I reckon St. Kildans would fall off for sure. Because yeah. as soon as you're on that ledge, if you get established on that ledge, it's unlikely you're going to fall off anywhere after that. The, the climbing eases much over. But that at that point, you're probably about 10 meters above the water. <clears throat> You know you're high enough, um, and there's you know it's uh, it definitely felt sketch. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what's sketch to me about doing that with your captain is, do you guys know enough about sailing to have got yourselves home if you'd lost your captain that day? Well, let me tell <laughs> let me tell you something else. So it's Scott, not that I'm doubting you, Scott. I'm sure you had it all all day long, mate. But Scott anchored the anchored the boat around the corner in a, in a, a good anchor spot um, came over in the dinghy with the three with the, with the it was basically me Will and Scott in this dinghy right <clears throat> Will was up on the wall um, I, I jumped onto the wall Scott had a small uh, anchor for the dinghy but you know we're out at, we're, the, the water's deep here mm. yeah we're not really sure how deep um, and he had this anchor and he just said this is our, our lifeline, this boat, this dinghy. We need this dinghy to get back to the main boat. If we don't have this this dinghy, we're not getting back to the main boat. 
So we've got to make sure that this dinghy doesn't go anywhere whilst we're climbing. <laughs> so <clears throat> he jumps onto the he jumps onto the rock face, holding the anchor in his hand, and the dinghy just starts floating around the sea stack. I'm just like, wait a minute, what's happening to the dinghy? He's like, it's getting pulled by the by the force of the sea, like the yeah. current is getting yeah. pulled away. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man! I was like, <laughs> we, we need to save this thing, and he's like, I've got the anchor in my hand. I just don't want to let go of it just yet. And I'm just like, too right, you don't want to let go of it. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, so we, we start trying to climb round, holding onto the anchor and he's looking pure sketch, man. So I'm like, give me the anchor. <laughs> so now I'm holding onto an anchor on with one hand on the rock face. And I'm just like, and at, the, at this point, actually, I'm not tied into anything either yeah. because uh, Will's climbed around the other side. So we're essentially like soloing with an anchor in our hands, <laughs> one hand on the rock. And uh, <clears throat> we get to where it steepens out a bit. And, I, and, and, and Scott just says, just, just chuck it in. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> oh, I, think it'll be, he's like, no, I think it'll be fine here. I think it'll be fine here. So we, we, we chuck the anchor in. We watch the anchor. Uh, hit the water and float down yeah. and then we just watch the dinghy slowly just go round the corner and the rope go a little bit tight and then stop and and scott can't quite see it and he's like is it okay is it okay and i look around and i see the dinghy and it's just kind of holding there against the stack uh, yeah i think it's fine it's not going anywhere it's like thank god for that <laughs> yeah so <clears throat> then yep. then we start climbing so we climb uh we climb to the top of the thing right 70 meters of of uh of sea stack adventure bit of choss but you know it's not got much traffic in the last 140 odd years <laughs> and uh and we summit and we're like yeah we're, we're, we're having a you know this is an amazing experience at which point then we're like, right we need to we need to get down off this thing so we're looking around for an, for an anchor to abseil off there's this huge, massive, big, like spiky block sticking out, kind of overhanging from the side of the the stack mm. where we climbed up. I wrap a big sling around this thing, and I say to Will, Will says he'll go first. I say I look down and I can see the dinghy at the bottom. I'm like, that's quite handy. Will, see if you can just like ab into the dinghy. So he abs down. Seven, got seventy meter half ropes by the way. Yeah. <clears throat> he abs straight down into the dinghy. That's mega perfect like it couldn't have gone any better <laughs> and of course that scott follows and then i take the last ab yeah. and we're both in the dinghy we pull the ropes and we're off that's awesome yeah that's awesome i must say it's one of the best days climbing and adventuring i've ever had i mean it would i guess it would only equal what i'm going the story i'm going to tell you next only because <clears throat> the thing I'm going to tell you next is legitimately hard adventure first ascending. But this, just the culmination of culture, of story, of experience mm. and history, the whole combination of the thing. And, and, and like the fact that it was a bit of like, uh, you know, trying to solve a bit of a mystery, you know, a, his a mystery from history. Yeah. Like I'd read a book written in the 1600s trying to piece together this like several hundred year old story to to marry up with what i see right now in front of me and making it work that's wild that was that that's was it. wild yeah that's really cool 
That's just... I am blown away with every part of that story. There is not... There's not many... Like, track climbing's adventure, right? It's all about adventure. But there's not many track climbs you go out there to do where there's so much risk of death from so many different elements. Like, there's the climbing. There's your dinghy floating off. There's your captain falling into the sea. There's the sea getting you. Like, (laughs) there's so many things going on there. That is as adventurous as you could possibly get. That's mega, man. Yeah. And to abseil perfectly back down at the dinghy, like that's perfection. That wasn't planned, but it was worked. <laughs> Tell people it was planned, man. Yeah. Tell people it was planned. Yeah. And it just we'll we'll skip that bit of the episode. Like we'll cut that out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so there that that was that was the, the sea stack adventure. But I will be honest, there was two objectives on this trip. Yeah. There was the the thumb, but then there was the secondary the second objective that I, I really wanted to do. On the first trip, we went climbing on the Isle of Soi, mm. which as I've said before, was the westernmost tip of the St. Kilda Archipelago. And last year, we climbed this big, beautiful, black face, the northwest face of Soi, we called it. It's like a, a smaller version of uh, North Wales's, um, uh, what's it called again? Oh, I've forgotten the name of it. Uh, cloggy cloggy you know cloggy oh right i didn't know where you're going with that one. yeah <clears throat> yeah, oh, yeah so cl- um i've never actually climbed on cloggy which um i don't think i have either actually. no um but guy robertson who was on our trip yeah. from year one he kept on saying well it's like a it's like a small version of cloggy um or like a, a more adventurous version of cloggy probably, yeah <laughs> bursting, right there, cloggy. bursting straight out of the sea um but anyway it's this beautiful sheet of black gabbro that just comes straight out of the sea and uh, we climbed this uh, a pitch um, three, pitch E five, which uh, we called the last Queen of Scotland. And um, but when we went to climb that, on the other side of the ridge, there was this enormous overhanging face. I mean, it it just made this other this black face of of Zoe mm. tiny by comparison. This thing was monstrous and how big was the surface that one was about 100 meters um and this thing dwarfed it this thing was like massive much bigger yeah and i couldn't quite tell how big it was and how or exactly how steep it was yeah Yeah. like from you gotta understand we're on a boat yeah (laughs) and we're looking face on at this thing Mm. this monstrous wall and the one thing that was noticeable um, was there's this huge section right in the middle of the face where there's no algae. There's this, there's this like bright orange algae that seems to appear about halfway up the face or a bit further maybe. Mm. And it gets, as it gets higher and higher and higher, the orange gets even more bright and eventually it turns into this green moss at the top. And what I figured out was that obviously the moss grows wherever water can get. Yeah. So wherever water doesn't get, dry rock and um, there's no there's no uh there's no algae yeah. yeah so that middle section must be so steep that no water ever touches it that was what i imagined yeah but we're ta- we're seeing this thing face on so i don't really know how steep it is i just know it looks very very steep and very very intimidating yeah. um 
but we didn't have time to go and try it this trip so it had to be this year's trip when i got home after trip one i opened this book that i'd bought on st kilda and while leafing through it one evening i saw this picture i was so lucky that i saw this picture it was a picture taken from a helicopter i think from a military survey that took an angled shot at that face and i could see how steep it was it was monstrous it was at least 30 degrees overhanging for possibly over 100 meters it was insane sorry bonnie shut up (laughs) so we arrive uh this year and me and will desperate to climb this thing i have actually been staring at a high resolution image of this face for over a year now or for around about a year and I've, I've um, basically dialed it down to two specific lines that I thought would be cool to take. Um, anyway, after me and Will had a look at the two lines, we, we narrowed down to this just a single line on the left-hand side. We think it's the easiest line to take. Yeah. And we think that's the best option because we want to get to the top of this thing. We don't want to make it harder than it needs to be. <laughs> <clears throat> I have a habit of uh, choosing the hardest things. Yes, you do. And uh, we'll yeah. come on to that later. Yeah, yeah. But um, we thought, right, let's go for the easiest thing possible to get ourselves up this thing. Mm. The dinghy, uh, Scott zips us both in the dinghy, and as we get closer, the wall looms over our heads, and I just realize how absolutely insane this is to be trying to climb this thing. It is so steep. And when me and Will actually climb up to the base of the the thing it's just it's just i can't quite put into words how nervous and how scared i was because i realized this is so steep yeah i don't actually know how we'd get back how we would retreat back to safety if we're not able to do this yeah like you know that's a big wall if you got if you managed to get most of the way out it and then couldn't do the last 10 meters of your line how do you get back well this was a question i i was genuinely nervous so will will takes the first pitch and by the end of the first pitch he's absolutely burst like he's his forearms are screaming (laughs) and i come up climb up to join him the first pitch it it wasn't too bad um on second um it was pumpy but on second it I didn't have to place any of the gears, so I was just like moving. And that was the easiest pitch and the least steep. And it was still pretty steep. Yeah. And I joined him and Will was like, man, this looks so hard and I'm broke. I don't know if I'm going to be able to lead anything else today. <laughs> it's like, okay, man. I was like, we'll just, we'll just take it one step at a time. So anyway, I start climbing and uh and instantly it's all on my arms yeah. there's no getting away you're not you're not really escaping from this the, the the quality of the rock was um okay it wasn't as good as i'd hoped <clears throat> but it it was good enough you know it was um it wasn't uh it wasn't done mingly where you're like grabbing on beautiful you know hard jugs or flakes yeah yeah it was it was it was like um, if you've got that that sort of 
steep steepness but like on um on on kind of a mixture of cracks and sloping jugs and crimps but it was really technical climbing and very three-dimensional mm. but with very little respite and also because it was so steep and the wall was so featured it became very confusing to to read it yeah. and also when you're looking up and hanging in that steepness you have a ticking you know clock as well because your forearms are getting more and more pumped not to mention the fact that the sun was burning down on us at that point it was hot <clears throat> i was sweating profusely and i was running out of gear because i was placing so much gear because i was so bloody scared and i was i was running out of gear constantly <laughs> so we were doing these i'd say like fairly fairly good sized pitches and they were more, they were pretty well protected but they were just it was so intense um i think i managed the first pitch and in the second and which was probably like e6 or e7 and in the next pitch after that i i just i i i, I fell off you know i was like i mean good effort <clears throat> getting to there jeez yeah. it was it was uh it was really hard there was a really brutally hard section mm. one thing i hadn't really realized was i'd been looking at this high res image for about a year yeah and i'd see all these features but what you don't realize is this wall is so big that these features are are big as well yeah yeah, yeah. and so you see a crack <clears throat> and then you see a blank spot and then you see another crack and so you think oh i'll just put one hand in the top of that crack and move the other hand to the top of that crack no because that blank spot is the size of a land rover <laughs> <clears throat> you know it's like it's it's not it's not a small distance it's huge and and suddenly this blank spot thankfully the blank spots have features yeah but they're not jugs they're they're, they're crimps or they're pinches or you know there's there's always something but it's not always easy yeah. and there were some big runouts and there was this one one bit <clears throat> where the only bit the only I took a bit of a run out and the next bit of gear was um a black totem where only one cam was engaged oh. and the crux following that fell about like V eight or you know font seven B on a really shouldery sequence and I engaged in the move and then all my like psych just completely disappeared and I just like lowered myself tentatively onto the black totem <laughs> and hoped to God it wasn't going to break. It's break, you know? And it, it held as I like sat onto it very like cautiously and then looked down at Will and was like, mate, like this is just getting a bit too much right now. I'm going to try and aid through this section. <laughs> and he was like, no, that's fair. <laughs> So I, I actually hadn't planned on doing any aiding. <clears throat> so I wasn't set up for like, I didn't have etrays. I didn't have any of that yeah. stuff. I didn't have Jumars. I was just, I just had some slings. So I just like built, this, got this sling and like put my foot into it on this like half engaged black totem, <laughs> grabbing like these little like Gaston pinches, standing as high as I possibly could into a sort of flared crack and I realized the flared crack, I, I tried to get my hand into it properly, but I wasn't engaging enough. And then I had to like lower myself again onto that horrible totem and realized 
I still wasn't, I didn't have the reach to get my hand into the crack and the strength. So then I just grabbed a cam and managed to just get the lobes of the cam in the sort of flared crack and grab the cam and then pull up and clip to that. And so there's this, basically there's like a, a one meter or one and a half meter section, something like that, which I had to aid to get through. And honestly, I still lose sleep at night (laughs) thinking about it because I so desperately wanted to free climb the whole thing. But I realized, you know, after getting to that section and just like struggling so much, I realized I could, I could spend a long time here. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to get to the top of this thing. This is the first ascent. This is adventure climbing. There's kind of like, we're not placing bolts here. You know, this is, there's, there's no rules. Yeah, you know, it goes just, back to by any means. By any means, we need to get to the top of this thing. And like, I'm still, I'm, I'm still looking up. I don't see the top. Like, it's just steepness for a long way. I've got no idea how much harder this is going to get. Like, Robbie, just put, put your ego aside and just let's just see if we can get to the top of this thing. <laughs> so I pull on the cam and I keep climbing. I get to another anchor. I build it. Will follows. I've got to say as well, Will did phenomenally well because we didn't bring any Jumars and he was really struggling to second the climbing um, because seconding on that angle is just horrible. It's just hard. In some ways, it's often harder than leading because at least when you're leading, you know, you're not going to fall out from the wall, you know? Um, So he he was struggling to second it and when he was falling off, he was in space and he was having to Jumar on uh he was just jumaring up on a prusik you know <clears throat> on these half ropes these bloody like seven nine mil half ropes um and every time he'd get to the belay he would look more burst than i did you know leading the thing and i would say are you up for this one and he's like nah mate you can do it <laughs> it's like don't worry i've got this i've got this so i keep climbing um the next pitch uh i can't remember if it was the next pitch or the pitch after that was just total choss. We'd entered like Chossville, right? And it's still super steep. I'm shoving my arms into these like enormous cracks. There's stuff falling out onto me. At one point, I grab a, I, 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 to, I say, to, I say to, uh, to Will, I think the next hold is gonna break. Um, so I reach up for the next hold and the hold I'm grabbing breaks. I fall off and I karate kick Will in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting the other hold to break, not the one I was actually holding on to. He's like, it's okay, mate. Anyway, <clears throat> pull back on. Thankfully, I, I get to the top of this next pitch, at which point it starts easing off. And uh, and then slowly but surely, we had oh, the, the, the last, or the penultimate pitch, I should say, the penultimate pitch was just one of the most beautiful pitches on the whole wall. A little bit of a scary start. And then it was just like really fun, athletic E6 climbing to get onto... The final ramp which was essentially a, a walk-off mm. and uh, and will said i'll take this lead mate <laughs> <laughs> so i said don't worry you get us to the top will <laughs> i will <laughs> don't worry nice. so will took us to the top and, and we finished perfect timing it was just, the sun had just set it yeah. was getting dark and uh and and that was it our, our first ascent on this unclimbed sea cliff on the westernmost island of uh, the british isles Soe. I, I think I've climbed a lot of sea cliffs, you know, in recent years. Um, 
Yeah. Like Long Hope is a good example. Like St. John's Head. I honestly think this place felt way more adventurous than, than St. John's Head. Way more adventurous. I mean, you're, 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 you're climbing it straight out of the sea. Mm. There's, there's no easy way to retreat. I don't know how you'd retreat other than leaving all your gear behind. And after a certain point, you just probably wouldn't have enough gear to get down. You know, it's, it's, it's serious. And um, you, you've basically just got to get up it. When you start, you have to go to the top. Yeah. And, and there's not very many climbs where that's, that's the case um, in, in, in real terms. And uh, it's probably about 200 meters of overhanging wall. I don't really think there's any other sea cliff in the British Isles that you can actually say that. I've I've not come across any that are that big and that steep and that committing. And um, I'm happy to be proved wrong. You know, when this comes out and people listen to it, I'd love to hear other people's thoughts. But I I think it's probably one of the most uh, wild sea cliffs out there. It has to be. Yeah. Just... Uh, even if it wasn't as long and it wasn't as overhanging and it wasn't as hard, just given where it is, yeah. just its location alone is wild yeah. compared to 90% of the sea cliffs in the UK. Yeah. In the world. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure in the world there's there's some stuff, but I think for our uh, our little grouping of islands, you know, the British Isles. Yeah. I think <clears throat> sea the, sea cliff climbing in the rest of the world isn't as big as it is in the UK, um, that's, that's like... yeah, Taz- Tazzy, I guess, is like a lot of sea cliff climbing there. I think there's stuff up in Canada. I'm I'm not really sure to be honest. I've not done uh, any sea cliff climbing outside the UK. But <clears throat> something I did want to say um, about this is that you know you hear a lot of uh, a lot of stories these days. People going to far flung locations around the globe seeking you know, real, raw adventure, mm. you know, people traveling to places like you know, Greenland, Baffin Island, looking for this, this, uh, this sense of adventure and exploration. And I think it's quite common for people to kind of think that in the British Isles, we've done it all. And this was a clear as day example that we certainly haven't. Mm. And there is far more on our little grouping of islands than i think has been imagined um prior and and a really funny conversation i had with uh, a friend whilst on a trip to to spain earlier this year she had just returned from a a big walling first ascended first ascending trip in east greenland yeah and alongside a group of some of the gnarliest uh, female alpinists in in the world and i was talking to her about my st kilda trip and she said that it sounded so incredible and so wild far wilder than their greenland trip and i was like what i was like but you went to greenland it's like on the other side of the world and it's like this you know place of massive big walls and everything and she went yeah we got off the plane we got a taxi to the to the to the walk-in the walk-in's a couple of hours and then you're at the base of a big wall. It's like, that's East Greenland. Like, that's what a lot of, I'm not saying that that is East Greenland, but yeah. a lot of like the, a lot of the big walls that get done are actually relatively easy accessed. And, you know, obviously that's not the case with somewhere like Baffin Island, but 
I did think that that was quite a funny thing to think that you could go on a trip to East Greenland and it'd be far more accessible than going on a trip to St Kilda and St Kilda's just there. You know, 60 miles off the coast of Harris, 100 miles off the coast of the mainland of the UK. It's just there, you know? But yeah. it's so hard to get to. It's so hard to access. <clears throat> to get to Soe, everything needs to be perfect. You need to have a boat to be able to, to get access to the island because there's no easy way of getting from the main island of Herta to Soe, you know? And you also need to have the, the seas calm enough to actually jump from the dinghy onto the boat. That was actually the most dangerous part of the day often, was getting onto the, the landmass. That bit of footage of you guys on the first trip out there that you did where you jump off the dinghy, the, the whole time we were watching you in the dinghy, I'm sitting there going, don't jump, don't jump, don't jump, don't do it. And then the dinghy disappears out of sight behind a wave for a second. And when it comes back up, you're not in it. And it's like, where's Robbie? Oh no, he did it. He did the thing. Did the thing. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> he did the thing. <clears throat> Man, yeah, they had my heart in my mouth there. So, are you are you gonna go back? Like, of course ha- I am. Like, uh, <clears throat> are you? Gonna, are this is this is a bit of a bigger question? Are you gonna go back to try and repeat that route or the other line that you spotted on that wall? Uh, is there other things on the island that you you want to do, or has this sparked a? <clears throat> fire to set sail to other adventurous locations and try and find just what you're saying like just as out there and wild adventures as you could find anywhere else in the world but here at home yeah i'd say all of that honestly i mean literally everything you've said i i'm i'm psyched on i mean first and foremost yeah i've got an itching to go back and uh repeat the route but free it i will be dead honest with myself when i went out there i wasn't fit or strong for climbing hard i was in a sort of adventure mode and i had a lot of things on my plate at the time so i think if i'd gone now okay right now i'm really like feeling quite sport fit and strong applying that to trad i would do really well i honestly think if i went back now i would do it um but that's that doesn't matter you know it's it was part of the experience of just going out there and having an adventure and i hope poor will doesn't listen to this <clears throat> why What's wrong? It's a hard, had a hard time on that route, it sounds like. And you're like, oh, you know, I, I did most of it, but I wasn't very fit. <laughs> no! no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I kind of don't know how to answer that. No. Um, well, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I I know, I, I guess I, I know myself, yeah. like, uh, what I'm capable of. And, you know, I, I felt I was a bit unfit at the time. Like, I, I think I, we, we did well to get up the thing. Yeah. Um, I'd like to go back fitter and stronger and actually free climb the thing. Now it's you the, know what, where the line goes and where the, yeah. where the gear is and where the moves are. Kind of, yeah. You, yeah, you'd be able to prep a little bit better. We've still done the first ascent off the wall. We, we, we named it We named it Summerled after uh, after the boat. And I also felt Summerled is the, the, I think he was like a Viking um, from history who was uh, dubbed Lord of the Isles. Mm. He was one of the Vikings who settled in in the Western Isles. Um, I thought that was a fitting name to give the climb. Um, so I would definitely go back to try and climb it. I would I would like to go and put other up other routes on that face. I think it's, I, I as I said before, I think it's the wildest sea cliff I've seen in the British Isles. Um, equally, I think that there's so much 
in the British Isles along the, the west coast of the Outer Hebrides and Harris and Lewis. And I'd love to take a boat up up there and uh, and explore else what what is on offer. I'm sure there's just countless stuff. Oh, yeah. And from the from the um from the vantage of a boat, you have that freedom and maneuverability to go where you want and and see things from yeah. different perspectives. You can access certain things that you just wouldn't be able to without the boat. Exactly. You know, yeah. There's definitely some crags that walking in from a place is not. It, it would take you weeks yeah. to get to some of these locations. And just the logistics of getting to the bottom of the things are wild. Yeah. Whereas being able to drop in the dinghy off, yeah. a, off a yacht is... That's the luxury way of life, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's having the right people as well. Like, um, we were really lucky. The first year we had Charles Smallwood, who was our skipper, and he was just amazing. 70-odd-year-old, you know, retired mm-hmm. shipping lawyer. who His boat, the Half-Light... Um, was amazing and uh, he was just such an adventurous guy and well up for it and and that's ultimately what you want and this year we had Scott from Yachting Scotland and I mean that guy was just so much fun <laughs> and like every day was hilarious jokes and just like crazy banter you know like just oh man it was great and he was just like he was well up for getting you know, us right in so that we could get what we wanted done. And he was also incredibly conscious of uh, how to keep us safe and to make sure that I talk about that thing earlier about the, the boat, <clears throat> but he knew what he was doing. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. And I think you've always got, yeah, man, bottom line is to do these things, you've got to be a wee bit mad. You know, I'm a wee bit mad. Scott's definitely got a screw loose, but you know, that's what makes great Don't adventurers. You know what I mean? Off um that's what we that's what we need uh to be able to to go out and do these things um but i guess like yeah the other, the other cool thing is like <clears throat> you know this type of uh adventure it's like a sort of relatively sustainable type of adventure it doesn't require flying to greenland mm-hmm. you know to yeah. go and have an adventure it's right on it's right on our relative doorstep it's just across there but it is hard to access but you know, with the right people and the means and uh, the the motives, then we yeah. can make it happen. Access by sailboat is one of the most eco-friendly modes of transport we can use to get to a crag as well. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You were more eco-friendly going there than most people are getting to Dumby. Is that right? Oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say it, and it'll be we'll true. Say it. Yeah, <laughs> argue with me. I dare you. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, <clears throat> So, so, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm psyched to, to kind of explore more. My, our plans, well, some of, some of my plans for next year are to uh, either do another Scottish sailing trip um, as kind of maybe up Lewis and Harris Way, mm. or I did potentially have an opportunity to go sail to Norway um, in the summer, yeah. and that would be a dream, um, but we'll see. Mm. I'm, I'm not 100% sure um which one but it'll be one of them yeah nice so i think for people that saw the first video the first kill the video there will be the question did you bring home any birds this time <laughs> oh yeah the last one was we charlie the pigeon yeah um we didn't bring any birds back this time was there any an- animal stuff uh, i mean it wouldn't be one of your videos if there wasn't some bird know. There was any animal-related uh, experiences 
really on this trip, sadly. Um, although when, when I did, Scott did say next time we should bring Bonnie. And then I was like, wild. I was like, Bonnie on a sailboat. Do you reckon that'd be alright? And he's like, Ah, oh, yeah, Bonnie'd be fine. Ah, Bonnie'd be fine on the sailboat. Yeah. Are dogs allowed on Kilda? Uh, probably not. Actually, RSPB <clears throat> are fairly protective of. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. As well, not not that, but like um, one thing I should mention on the podcast. All this was done in complete support with the National Trust of Scotland, the mm-hmm. NTS, who are the um, the wardens and uh, the caretakers of the St Kilda Archipelago, as well as um, many of the islands in the Outer Hebrides, like uh, Burnery, Barrahead, Mingley, Pabby, and. Uh, yeah, no, they, they they knew well in advance. Like I was in communication with them yeah. a year in advance for this trip, um, and they were they were great. And as I was completely, you know, um, clear as day with my plans and objectives, and uh, and balanced it with uh, any issues that any any worries that they might have. Yeah. Which the key worries were always uh, bird related. You know, they they were worried about nesting birds. But because we went in September, there was no nesting birds yeah. on the sea cliffs. Um, there was still the ground nesting storms, leeches, petrels, but we didn't have to come into contact with them because we were accessing everything from the ground up yeah. or from the sea up. Um, and anywhere we were going on land, there wasn't any uh, any birds nesting there. So it, that's the, that was a, a key mm-hmm. thing uh, that I wanted to mention. Uh, they're fantastic, you know, the NTS. They do a lot of good work. And uh, it's one thing, I'm making a film about this trip <clears throat> it's going to be quite a big process to to, to see to fruition but um they were a, a huge part in that and so that's going to be a big thing i, I talk about is the work that they do uh, and something i want to really um yeah promote man kilda sounds wild doesn't it epic adventure but remember this is a two-parter So, to learn more about the man himself, look out for part two. But in the meantime, do your buddy checks.